Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Coming in from the cold, looks back across three centuries of the beautiful game in England and contains references to social attitudes and language from the past that some listeners may find challenging. Morris again, cutting back inside. But here's Raheem Sterling on the hat-trick, slots it in beautifully. Goal number five. As ever, Liverpool take it quickly in by Venice and Aldridge going up. Barnes is in there, and Barnes has equalised. A rare-headed goal for John Barnes. And here's Regis. They're caught square. This is a chance. Oh, he did it superbly. Almost went for Flowers. He didn't pull loudly enough. Henry decided he had to take it. In. 2-0. Three defenders and a goalkeeper ahead of him. Oh, what a finish from Andy Cole. Taylor doggedly is trying to stay with Billy Bonds. Bonds a little cross, and Clyde first the goal. This is the story of black male footballers in the English game. This is our sporting history. This is yours. I'm Jessica Crichton, and this is Coming In From The Cold, a story you can follow on TalkSport and all your favourite podcast platforms. Last time on Coming In From The Cold, we learned about Ian Wright, Andy Cole and Les Ferdinand the trio of strikers who drove the game forwards in the new Premier League era, and about the significance of Paul Ince being made England's first black captain. Today we'll hear how black and mixed-race footballers in the new millennium became some of the biggest superstars in the English game, and how they're striving to overcome new obstacles in the spirit of those trailblazers who came before them. The noughties was the era which fully cemented the English top flight as the global league of nations, filled to the brim with talent from the four corners of the earth. And many of the biggest and brightest stars were black. That's a lovely ball to Henri. Inch perfect, Thierry Henri goes for it. Oh, what a goal! That is sublime! Spearing with some ease. Drogba makes place for the shot, he does! Yet again, yet again at Wembley. He's got time and space. Defoe! 2-0 to Spurs. Alan Lennon, the architect, yet again. And Jermaine Defoe with his eighth of the season. Yoni Djokaev. And Okocha. Oh! Fantastic! 
it really was worth waiting. It's estimated that more than 60% of players in the Premier League are from overseas. And whatever the nationality, around a third of professional footballers in England are black or mixed race. This shift in the demographics of those on the pitch was a big part of the reason why the racist chanting that had been the norm for decades was being pushed further and further away from the game. Former Liverpool, West Ham and Manchester City goalkeeper David James says this welcome change went hand in hand with the Premier League's increasingly globalised commercial success. You'd go to certain grounds and the fans were just the other side of a wall and you'd, you know, go and receive a ball after a warm-up and get hurled with abuse. You kind of thought, OK, if that guy jumps over, there could be a problem. But then all of a sudden, we exploded into this magnificent entertainment and you can't have these sort of scenes on your telly across the world, which is where the Premier League is now. So they clean their act up. And obviously for good reasons, because now we have a, a better environment. I know there is obviously still issues going on, but what we have now, thanks to the likes of Kick It Out and Show Racism Red Card and a lot of campaigning from people, we have an environment where I'd like to think that it's safe, not just for ethnic minorities, for women, for, for people of different sexual persuasion. There is a safer environment to go to. Paul Elliott heads the FA's Inclusion Advisory Board. If you look in stadiums now... You know, the game is virtually self-policing now. Yeah, we still get little pockets of issues where some players have been abused, but there's more diversity, more women, you know, more people with disabilities, more people of colour. So football is such a more greater, better experience now than what it's ever been before. Where once West Brom had been viewed as a beacon for fielding the three degrees, every club in England now featured black talent throughout their squads. Teams and fans were fully embracing the new normal, like the day in 2002 when Arsenal started with nine black players in a game against Leeds United. Here's former Gunners in England forward, Leanne Sanderson. At the time, it wasn't something I necessarily thought about because I was always raised where, you know, colour, everybody was no different. You know, we never saw colour. You know, I was like everybody else, although I'm mixed race, I never felt like I was kind of like not given opportunity because I was mixed race. It wasn't that I would watch the Arsenal first team and be able to be like, okay, there's Nicolas Anelka, there's Patrick Vieira. I just looked at them like any other player, you know. So it wasn't like I used to think, oh, well, those players are black. They're like my dad. They're like me. You know, I never really thought like that. But then as I got older and you start to be a little bit less kind of naive to the world, you start to see and you realise how much, it, how amazing subconsciously that probably was, you know, because the likes of Patrick Vieira, Nicholas and Elkar, when I was there also, Bar Morte, Christopher Ray were there. And, you know, it's, it's it's amazing because Arsene Wenger obviously had a lot of black players then. And at the time, you never really think about that as being in a, in a, a big deal. But now when you look back to it, you're like, actually, that was amazing. Frenchman Arsene Wenger's coaching method shook up English football in the late 90s, and he would win three titles with the North Londoners. Wenger placed great faith in inspirational talent like Thierry Henry, Colo Torre, and midfield colossus Patrick Vieira, who proved to be a massive influence on future England international Anita Asante as she sought to build her own career at Arsenal. I just loved kind of his composure, you know, the way he was on the pitch. He made things look easy. And it's just like an elegance to the way he played that made it enjoyable for me to watch. 
And of course, he was part of the whole Invincibles team and that whole style of play was just like exciting. And you just were like, couldn't wait to watch a game. You know, I, I just thought like this guy is immense. You know, obviously he was a giant. He's very imposing in his presence. But if you meet him, he's so softly spoken. Like I said, he's got an elegance and a finesse in the way he plays. But at the same time, he was like this brute force that no one could really get past in the midfield. And, you know, as a defender and having played parts in the midfield throughout my career, those are some of the kind of qualities that I wanted to sort of adopt as a player and, and, and try to learn from as well. Another player to feature in that game in 2002 was Arsenal stalwart Sol Campbell. He won two Premier Leagues and two FA Cups with the Gunners. But it's with his first club Spurs that Sol made a bit of hidden history, becoming the first black captain to lift a major trophy at Wembley as Tottenham won the League Cup in 1999. People don't realise. <laughs> you know, and when you look at it, you know, there's a lot of black players who've played football before me, but not captain lifting any cup. It's like, for me, it's incredible that it took that long for a captain to win some bit there at the old Wembley and lift the cup. Now, it's, it's normal. It's like, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's nothing now. It's, it's, it's normal. When I did it with the League Cup, it was the first. It was a... Uh, it's only when you look back at how proud you feel as a footballer and as a black footballer at the time. It's special. Campbell played more than 600 games during his career, winning trophies with Spurs, Arsenal and Portsmouth. And in 1998, he became only the second black man to captain England. I was honoured, really. I was honoured. It's a special moment for me. You know, I love playing for my country. By then, I played for my country 14, 15, 16 years old when I was based in Liddershaw. So for me to be involved and play those games under 18s and, and 21s, even at a B cap, and to have that, it was just incredible and, and really something I would always remember in my entire life. And I'm honoured to be captain at the time. It's just it's such a special kind of moment and feeling. No one can take that away. They're really proud moments. Sol was part of what the media dubbed the golden generation, a period where England boasted a depth of talent that made them favourites for major tournaments, even if they ultimately failed to deliver the international silverware that fans crave. David James is the first goalkeeper of black heritage to play for the full England side, and he turned out 53 times for his country. He remembers a very different experience as an England fan. I grew up watching England games when there was a lot of right-wing support and vocalised support, should I say, during matches. Uh, I was subject to that throughout the early years of my career. Maybe a little bit naive towards it because in the end I was just playing the game. England were led by their first foreign coach, Sven-Goran Eriksson. One of the Swedes' favoured players was Emil Heskey, who would go on to win 62 international caps. The former Leicester and Liverpool forward says he was inspired to make the senior side by those torchbearers who came before him. With all due respect, we grow up with certain barriers. But when you see someone doing it, you know, oh, well, there isn't, there isn't a barrier. I can, I can do that because he's done it. So inevitably, you work your mind towards actually achieving that. And that is what I did to achieve in first getting playing for Leicester. I'd made progression from 16s all the way through. So I knew that then the, the, the next progression after I got to the 21s was first team. So I had to just keep pushing away and keep breaking down and keep working on getting into that first team. And when you see the likes of, like I said, Les, when you see Inti, you see Ian Wrights, you see Andy Coles, you see Sol there as well. When you see all them people, you're like, well, yeah, I can make it as well, as long as I keep pushing. 
Along with Heskey, star defenders Ashley Cole and Rio Ferdinand were also part of a strong black core at the heart of the national team, as David James remembers. They were just amazing players. I mean, Emma Heskey was, again, similar to me, he was getting a lot of bad, dare I say, press, because I don't think people fully understood or didn't want to understand what Emma Heskey brought to a team. Heskey had the ability to make other players do what they're good at. So uh, Ashley Cole, as I say, as a defender, as a player, as a person, fantastic. Rio was one of my favourite defenders, if not the best defender I played with, I I would say, in football. This was a guy who, passionate, understood the game and wasn't afraid to tell you about what he thought when he he felt it. And that might have been in the middle of a match. But at least there was no grey area with him. And as a a goalkeeper, you want to know what the people in front of you are thinking. You know, again, another player who was much maligned by uh, the media for one reason or another. Here's Sol Campbell, veteran of 73 England matches. Rio, definitely one of the best defenders and actually one of the best left-backs, probably the best left-back England's had, you know, and let's see in the future, but he's definitely, and Rio's definitely one of the best in this country and best in the world. So, you know, just playing alongside those two guys was just incredible. Obviously, I played more with uh, Ashley Kerwin at Arsenal. I just love the the whole kind of his attitude and the size and the East London kind of uh, tenacity came out but then the skill and the understanding of football and you know that real kind of hunger to keep on winning and he you know obviously did that at Chelsea and went on to <laughs> so many caps for England as well so you know actually Coley is just incredible and Rio is fantastic kind of you know knowledge of the game and playing wise and you know, he's won so much at uh, Man United and he obviously learned from, you know, for the West Ham and the Leeds United days, turned out to be a wonderful player and for a very long time, fantastic ambassador for, for Man United, fantastic, but they're both fantastic ambassadors for the community when it comes to football. Ashley Cole was a player whose narrative illustrates the complex space that black footballers occupy in the history of the English game. The East Londoner was a brilliant left-back for Arsenal and Chelsea, and no black player has got anywhere near the 107 international caps that he won. Here's Henry Winter, chief football writer of the Times. For 12, 13 years, he was England's, consistently England's best player. I've never seen anyone play Cristiano Ronaldo better. Consistently, game after game, and in places where he got racist abuse. You know, I mean, he got hit by a missile in his, in his debut in Tirana, Albania. He's a strong character and an absolutely fantastic left-back attacking fullback, defensively superb. You know, he's not one of these defenders, sort of fullbacks in the modern mould, who is just brilliant going forward and putting crosses in. Ashley Cole could do that. But defensively, he was brilliant. And one of the things that was not always highlighted about him, he was brilliant at reading attacking moves. He was brilliant at positioning. The amount of times I've seen Ashley Cole clear the ball off the line, and you almost sort of accepted it. You say, oh, they've lobbed the keeper, but there's Ashley Cole clearing off the line. He read danger because of his athleticism, because of his anticipation, because of his intelligence and game awareness. Brilliant footballer. Rodney Hines, sports editor of The Voice newspaper, agrees. If there's a better left back in the Premier League, and I think even Cristiano Ronaldo when Man United used to play Chelsea, said, Ashley Cole, my greatest, toughest opponent. Yet for all his brilliance and consistency, Cole was never taken to the hearts of England fans. Rather than lauding a man who was arguably the best fullback in the world at his peak, he was sometimes booed while playing for England. Booing one of your own players, are you expecting him to play better? Are you, are you expecting from him? You know, and we are professionals, so we can actually block a lot of that out. But it's still not nice, is it? Despite this, Heskey says Cole's seat at the highest table is assured. The best player of our generation. 
Hands down. So you look at uh, trophies, you look at appearances, you look at the actual standard he played up to and how long he did it for. And when you ask players that played against him, nine times out of ten, they'll say, didn't really like playing against him. Even down to Ronaldo. Cole won the Champions League, a UEFA Cup, three Premier League titles and seven FA Cups in his club career. He was voted in the PFA Team of the Season four times, twice made UEFA's Team of the Year and was selected in the Team of the Tournament for Euro 2004. Darren Lewis, assistant editor of the Daily Mirror, sees Cole as a world-class player who wasn't truly appreciated by English football. He should have been celebrated far more than he actually is. He's the greatest left-back in Premier League history. I'm sure there are others on a par, but I can't remember too many that were better. Cole had a strained relationship with the media, and he wasn't the only player to be bruised by this off-field opponent. An explosion in wages and fame catapulted footballers from the back to the front pages. Whether they liked it or not, players were now part of the celebrity news cycle, and Sol Campbell believes this is part of the reason that fans turned against the golden generation. The media took far too long to kind of wake up and recognise you know, the situation they were in and how they were reporting certain people. It was the media who were very in control of a lot of stuff, from interviews or describing black players whilst they were playing, things like that. You know, They were, were very important and how they controlled the temperature, uh, either dampen it or raised it on a particular individual. It was really the media from the press, the radio and the TV I mean, that's not really happening too much now because the control is gone with the Instagram and things like that and where players having their own kind of newspaper media kind of in one go. You know, they've got their own media now because you know, they can, you know, go out to all these fans and this is who I am. This is really, back then, that wasn't around. That wasn't around. So they were really in control, the media. And if they wanted to kind of put you under the cosh, they could easily do that. Cole was often portrayed as the poster child of the celeb footballer bling lifestyle. Paul McCarthy is executive secretary of the Football Writers Association. He says he found the use of the term particularly troubling. You never, ever heard the word bling attached to a young white player. You only saw it attached to young black players because it was shorthand for black, rich, flash, arrogant. That's what it was shorthand for. You never, ever, ever saw, well, very, very, very rarely would you have seen bling attached to a young white player. Darren Lewis agrees that some of the backlash that Cole faced was related to how black and mixed race players were perceived, both inside and outside of the game. Looking back now, you recognise a theme because I remember when Claude Makaleli was at Real Madrid and he talked about wanting to be paid at the same level as some of the more celebrated European stars in the team. And he was told, you know, you're just a defensive midfielder and they didn't really want to give him the credit he was due. And then he went to Chelsea and became the, the fulcrum for that winning era, or that era of winning trophies. And But there was that period, wasn't there, where black players had to kind of know their place. How dare you complain about the money that is on offer for you? Rio Ferdinand is recognised as being one of the best English players of his or any other generation. Born in Peckham in south-east London, the central defender began his career at West Ham before moving to Leeds for a British record fee, which was broken again when Manchester United made him the most expensive defender in the world when he moved to Old Trafford for £34 million in 2002. Rio more than justified his fee. 
winning the Champions League and six Premier League titles for United during 12 seasons at the club. Here's Henry Winter. We have Ferdinand's one of those few people in life who's got access to all areas in society. I mean, he's just got, he can go to a housing estate in Peckham and talk about knife crime. He can go to Whitehall and talk about important campaigns. He's a remarkable individual. He was a, in a way, he was a bonding force in the England dressing room at a time when he was Manchester United, but he had Southern roots. He was, he was such an important player for England. A superstar in the club game, Ferdinand proved his class at international level too, playing 81 times the second highest number of caps by a black player after Ashley Cole. And he became the third black man to captain England, taking the armband in 2010. His journalist, Rodney Hines. A stereotype of black players was, yeah, they could all be Laurie Cunningham. They could all have that that sexy way about them. Does it get any better than a centre-half pairing at international level than Sol Campbell and Rio Ferdinand? I have discussions in my newsroom or over Zoom at the moment where I say that's arguably the best centre-half pairing of all time for England. Former international teammate Emil Heskey says Ferdinand was ahead of his time. When you look at the players now and you look at the defenders now and everyone's saying we want ball-playing defenders and blah, 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 we want this, and that was real. Are you talking to someone from 2000? Actually, let's go before that, actually, 90... I, I started in 95, I think he started in 97. So you're talking to someone from then, playing the way that we, we're encouraging people to play now. He was doing that. Rolls-Royce. You know, playing out from the back, skills. Uh, I remember playing I remember playing with Rio uh, under 18s. And Rio was playing right back. Rio's running down the wing doing stepovers and <laughs> flicking it over people's heads. I kid you not, I swear. But this is what you've got. Someone with that ability, but six foot four or five, you know, and he's agile enough to actually be able to pull it off. Size 11 feet. <laughs> The brother of Anton and a cousin of Les, Rio Ferdinand stands out as an inspiration. And not just because of his talent on the pitch, as Henry Winter explains. Because of his personality and because of his conscience, he's such a force for good in society and with his campaigns and with his comments. Rio Ferdinand's impact on you know the campaign for diversity has been monumental. So when you look at their experience, elite mentalities and proven success at the highest levels. How come greats like Rio, Ashley and Sol and others aren't striding up and down the touchline or through boardrooms like they did on the pitch? Why hasn't the leadership black players showed on the field been transferred to the management and administration positions after retirement? Stay tuned to find out why the technical area is seen as the new glass ceiling for black footballers in England. This is Coming In From The Cold. Welcome back to Coming In From The Cold, the history of black footballers in English men's football. Despite black players making up a third of the Premier League, there has only been a sprinkling of black faces in the dugout. Rude Hullet was the first black coach to win a trophy in England, claiming the FA Cup with Chelsea in 1997. He went one better than Tony Collins, who we learned about in episode two, who'd been the only previous coach of black descent to reach a cup final with Rochdale in 1962. John Degana and Nuno Espirito Santo are two other overseas black managers in the English top flight, while Paul Ince and Chris Hewton remain the only black British coaches to have been appointed to permanent positions in the Premier League. I asked Paul Elliott, a driving force behind the FA's Football Leadership Diversity Code, for his thoughts. 30% of the players that play the game 
uh, from a black Asian minority ethnic background, yet we've only got five black managers, one or two within the boardrooms, you know, the executive teams. So my point is, when you speak to black players, current, former, they just want one thing. It's called equality of opportunity. No favours. And it was it was captured perfectly to me when somebody says, Paul, I don't know what your journey must have been like, but at times it feels like we're running 100 metres, we're, we're all at the starting line, but other parties have got a 20 metre start on them. It doesn't matter even if you're Usain Bolt, you're not <laughs> going to catch them. So that was a wonderful, very succinct way to articulate the, the, the modern challenges. Hope Powell is a former manager of the England women's team. Well, you have to look at who's in, who are the decision makers, who, who employs, who are the ones that say, yes, you can or no, you can't have the job. The question, somebody has to say, yes, I think you're good enough. There's a lot that are saying, well, it's, it's quite evident by the stats. There are a lot that are saying that, hey, you're not good enough. And it just so happens that it doesn't translate to the amount of black, certainly in the male game, the amount of black players in the male game, and then it doesn't transition into coaching. You have to question what's going on because I question it. You know, there are some talented black coaches that have got a license pro license ex-players you know that don't get to coach a premier league team they might get to coach tier three or something i just find that fascinating John Barnes has coached Celtic, Tranmere and the Jamaica national team. He believes that the issue of the lack of black managers in English football has its roots well beyond the game. A black person who may not be intelligent, not because he's black, but for whatever reason, can be the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. The perception we have of them in sport is, can you do that sport? And if you can do that sport and win, that's important. From a management point of view, it's about your intelligence. It's about, can you lead? So that is what we have to overcome. So for all the greatest footballers we have, and as I said, we're disproportionate in terms of the amount of numbers we have from a percentage to black players to white players until we dismantle this whole perception of a black person's, in, a black man's intellect, his ability to lead, his ability to organize, his ability to manage. That's not just about football because you may look at black managers. How many black managers are there in any other higher echelons of any industry? So it's not just particular to football as much as we're throwing into football's door. And that is the hurdle we have to overcome. And that is the hardest hurdle to overcome. So when I'm talking about equality, the, the equality I would like is a moral and intellectual equality. The perception of our moral and intellectual equality. Not that, you know, oh yeah, I'm not racist because I love Raheem Sterling because he's a great player. After, who would you rather be the manager, Raheem Sterling or Kevin De Bruyne? They'll go for Kevin De Bruyne as much as they say they love Raheem Sterling. So that is the that is the next hurdle and probably the last hurdle and the most difficult hurdle to overcome. The perception that black players are primarily naturally talented physical specimens is the reason that Kick It Out's Troy Townsend says the language used around coverage of the sport is vitally important. You know, that's why I'm so against the whole, you know, terminology of power and pace, because that's what we were deemed, you know, we were deemed as either the, the big black lad at the back who had to smash the ball to the, to the quick black lad up front, you know, and that went through all levels of football. And we're still trying to break that myth now, unfortunately, in terms of language and, and the way that our players are spoken about. The impact of stereotypes about black and mixed race players is something that's echoed by David James. 
if you think about the goalkeeping position, it's the position of uh, where you, supposedly you have to be mentally strong. A bit like, it's probably another question you might ask, but it's a bit like management. Hmm. You know, the, the guy who's strong, quick, and all the, as I say, the, the sort of stereotypical definitions of a, a powerful black player, those guys also, you know, when you listen to a lot of the discourse, don't need to think. They just do what their physical body does, whereas the goalkeeper has to be thoughtful, um, make a lot of decisions and stuff that the outfield players don't necessarily make. So I think there is this bias, if you like, that black guys in goal or mixed-race guys in goal haven't got the mental capabilities to play an important role. That's what it feels like. And management seems to be the same. If you're a minority goalkeeper who wants to go into management like me, then you've got... You've kind of got a double hurdle. One person who's proved an inspiration for black coaches is the late Keith Alexander. The Nottingham-born St. Lucia international striker enjoyed a 400-plus game career in the lower leagues before moving into management. Brendan Batson remembers his example. I think of that transition from playing, Keith Alexander becoming the first, one of the first black managers, I think somebody before him. But Keith Alexander will always be known as the daddy of black managers. Bless him, he died sadly a good few years ago now. Alexander coached clubs including Lincoln, Peterborough and Macclesfield from the early 1990s, through to his untimely passing in 2010. Here's Viv Anderson, the first black man to play for the full English side and former Barnsley boss. Keith Alexander was with him, who's sadly not with us, who was the first black manager. And I was second very shortly after him. And I remember the headlines in the paper saying, this is the start of a new generation. And 20, 30 odd years on, I think we've got less black managers now than we had then. So things haven't changed at all, really. Now, is it down to the owners? Is it down to the hierarchy? Is it down to individuals who, who uh, hire and fire people? I don't know. but. Um, Something's got to change because uh, it's disproportionate with our generation now. It's a multiracial country, more so than it was when I first started. You know, up and down the country, you you go to more football clubs and there'll be more black faces in the football club than there's ever been before. But we don't seem to get to the next level where I think the the preconception is they make good players, but they don't make good managers. And I think that's just a myth. I think should be given the opportunity to prove if they're good managers, but they're not given the opportunity. I was lucky to get the opportunity, but not a, not a lot of good players, really good players, aren't. One great player who's lost patience is Andy Cole. The Man United legend told me that he decided against taking his coaching badges as he believed he wouldn't get a fair opportunity as a black coach. No, it's the system set. The, the system is, is set. You know, and when when they when they talk about best man for the job, how many times I've heard that? I mean, all those kind of, oh, the, the Rooney Law and all that. Well, you can sit down. You, I've spoke to um, black or ethnic minority individual regarding the job, and you know we've done it. We filled the quota. I'm I'm not I'm not a quota. Yeah, is if you believe I'm good enough for the job, or I'm not good enough for the job. It's, it's as simple as that. David James agrees with some of Cole's sentiments. I don't want a position because I'm a minority. I want a position because I know or they know that I am the person for the job and then it's for me to prove it. I asked Andy Cole for his take on the way forward. What do you think is the answer? I mean, that's a massive question, but do you have any idea of how it can get better? No, because we've been debating about this for how many years? Every time we believe we are moving forward, everyone starts doing Michael Jackson and moonwalking and going the opposite way. 
Yeah. So I, I, I don't, I don't even know, man. I don't even know. I, I, I really don't. I know there's a hell of a lot of frustration out there. There's people who want to be given the opportunity, want to be judged on their ability, i.e., coaches, managers. Yeah. Judge me on that. Not judge me on the color of my skin or what your perceptions are of us. Yeah. That's what our parents have already been through to, to give us the opportunity to move forward in our life. You know, but yet we're still fighting the same battles. Cole's downbeat assessment of the opportunities available to black coaches is one that's understood by Emmy Anura, author of Pitch Black, the story of black British footballers. One of the issues about change within the game is that it happens so slowly. If we think that it took a process of 30-something years for the idea that you shouldn't throw bananas onto the pitch at black players, that that was somehow wrong, that was a kind of line in the sand. If it took 30 years for that to happen, then on that trajectory, I don't know how long it's going to take before we have we have a significant number of black managers managing football clubs or making key decisions in the game. So the pace of change is one of the problems. It's so slow, it's piecemeal, and sometimes it feels like it's one step forward, two steps back. Sanjay Bandari, chair of Kick It Out, believes that English football has been missing a trick by not embracing black coaches. There's talent that's just slipping through the net. So there's a massive missed opportunity in those terms. This is not just about doing the right thing. It's actually you're missing out on opportunities here because there's a bunch of people that are incredibly talented that are not making it through into coaching. You've got to ask yourself, how are you losing that talent? One man who's blazing a trail is Les Ferdinand. A legend on the pitch, he's now building a successful career as director of football at QPR. He believes that showing leadership on the touchline and the executive suite will help dispel some of the stereotypes about people of African and Caribbean descent in positions of authority. How do you see though, that, that greater diversity in those boardrooms if, if, you're, if you're looked at in that way? Um, it's going to be the likes of Chris Ramsey and myself that hopefully paved the way for other people coming through wanting to, to, to go into those roles. Paul Lintz, who became the first black British manager in the Premier League when he took charge of Blackburn in 2008, told me that Les Ferdinand's example is a powerful one. It's important that he does do well because obviously there's, there's going to be times where people might want to go into, the, into, into that line of work. And they always, sometimes people always look at what's happened previously with a black person to decide whether they, they can do that job or not. So I think with Les doing what, so well at, what he's doing at QPR, it gives people hope that people who finish the game can look to go into that job. There's a lot of clubs now who are having directors or footballers at their club. I think it's the way forward. They've been doing it in Europe for years, but more so they just start to do it in England now. So it's another avenue, you know, for black players coming out of their careers, you know, as well as punditry, as well as managing, you know, all of a sudden you've got three options now that you can go into where you can believe, hopefully believe that you've got a chance of getting the job irrespective of the colour of your skin. And Les has paved the way for that. Sol Campbell played alongside both Ince and Ferdinand for England. The former Three Lions captain who's coached in the lower leagues with Southend and Macclesfield believes the doors need to be opened to more diverse leadership. It's got to reboot, it's got to relearn, you know, you've got to understand there is quality from every background. Quality comes from poor backgrounds, wealthy backgrounds, ideas come from everyone, no matter what colour, creed or, you know, religion or whatever. Forget these kind of, these blockages, these barriers, they, they should not exist anymore when, when you're looking at, you know, can we make a better 
society? Can we make a better association? Can we make a better world? Yes, it's not going to be perfect, but the things that you can control, just let it go now because you're stopping future quality talents coming through and you're stopping it just because of colour? Are you, you're crazy. You know, you're stopping it just because of colour. It's like, what are you doing? Here's Hope Powell. If we can advocate change, and we have to recognise and appreciate why it's being done. As I said before, the amount of talented black players that are on the pitch doing their thing does not translate into opportunities off the pitch. So if not for themselves, then for the next generation, perhaps to help that transition from from player to coach or player to administration in the game is really, really important. We have to keep fighting the fight. We have to, otherwise nothing changes. Paul Elliott feels that the time is right for black footballers to overcome another hurdle in the English game. The whole of football has to be inextricably aligned to set the example. And, and I think that's the way we're going. And I feel that, you know, I mean, it was Raheem Sterling. You know, I've never met him, but he's an outstanding man of the highest order. And I think it was his thoughts that activated my thinking into the creation of his code when he said that when he looks up, he doesn't see people that look like him. And also when he says, when you can't see it, how can you be it? So that talks about him looking up and saying, when he looks up into the executive, senior management, senior leadership teams, when he sees coaches, there's not enough people like him. And he's absolutely spot on. Next, we'll look at how Raheem Sterling and a new generation of black players are using their platforms to advocate for the change they want to see, both inside and outside the game. This is Coming In From The Cold. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Welcome back to Coming In From The Cold. The English game is now filled with outstanding black talent from near and far, and their skills are celebrated around the world. Yet a problem many thought was in the past, racist abuse, has reared its head again. And in these different times, it's often happening in a different way. Dr. Daniel Kilvington, author of Sport, Racism and Social Media, explains. 
this is a worrying time because the stats and arrests for racial chanting are generally over the last 10 years they have decreased because there's stewards, there's CCTV, there's apps in place. So people aren't doing it as much, but really it's happening online. The PFA and Kick It Out commissioned a report showing that 43% of Premier League players experienced targeted and explicitly racist abuse online. It's a shocking figure, and one that's driven by a number of factors, according to the Mail on Sunday's chief sports writer, Ollie Holt. In the last few years, we have regressed in terms of the treatment of black players and and the abuse that they get. And I think in some ways there is a perfect storm. I think the Brexit debate, whatever its rights and wrongs, whichever side you were on, polarised our society, unfortunately. Because of that polarisation, the discourse of the nation became more polarised, became more aggressive. And as part of that, I think there was an empowering of abuse, a, a kind of empowering of pointing out separateness and otherness. And yes, I think maybe because social media exists and the the essential anonymity, I suppose, of social media, there's anonymity if you want there to be. And so therefore people feel that there's no, there's not going to be any sanction for levelling that kind of, you know, the kind of abuse that one hopes they would not level at somebody to their face has suddenly become become part of the discourse. We've all heard about, and maybe seen, instances of black footballers being abused on social media. But at the same time, players in the modern age have been able to use these same tools to their own ends. Like when Raheem Sterling took to Instagram to highlight the different way that young black and young white players were being covered by the mainstream media. Here's Dr Kilvington. I loved that post because I think it perfectly encapsulated the ways in which Black footballers and white footballers have always been framed by the sports media implicitly. I don't think there was any kind of recognition or malice or consciousness by the journalists who who wrote those stories, really, to think we need to report these players differently. It was almost unconscious, really. But it's a major problem. And, of course, this has led to people having these conversations for the last uh, year or two whenever whenever he posted this. What I would say is that that really the way in which those players were represented and how players of colour or athletes in in all sports versus white athletes, how they're framed differently is not really new information. This has been talked about and written about for 30 or 40 years within academia. So, for example, the book that we've spoken about, which was published in 2015, and he's using his platform for the good to challenge these inequalities in, where the, in the way that players of colour are represented and how white players are represented. And he's absolutely spot on in terms of the, the differences and how they are, those differences are racially based and racially motivated in how they're framed differently. The Daily Mirror's Darren Lewis, one of the few black journalists covering football for a major news outlet, was pleased to see his industry being challenged. Here we had an elite player, an England player, who was prepared to fight fire with fire. And I remember the ripple that it caused. In fact, it caused a a bit of an eruption, really, because everyone finally had to look at themselves. But what I remember most about that period was being pleased because I had felt at that time that footballers had a power that they weren't using. Footballers have an economic power. Footballers have a, a reach that I don't think even they at the time 
really understood. Dr. Kilvington explains the shifting relations between modern footballers and the mainstream media. Players have a massive platform. And in some cases, there's some players out there who've got a bigger following than the clubs that they play for. And Marcus Rashford has millions of social media followers across his different platforms. The same with Raheem Sterling. They have a voice unlike ever before. We used to rely on journalists to put out stories after interviewing the players, whereas now players have the power to control their narrative through their own channels, which has changed how sports journalism and how the sports media operate and how they relate with players or their relationships with players. For Lord Herman Oosley, founder of Kick It Out, today's black stars are proving themselves as leaders beyond the pitch. It's showing that these guys are articulate, they are leaders, they are prepared to speak out, they are prepared to be seen as role models of a different kind. They are not prepared to put up with it discrimination and abuse and exclusion but at the same time they want to articulate the change but they also want to concentrate on their football because they don't want to be deflected from that because that is what their professional skills and experiences enable them to have that platform and how they use that platform wisely is part of how we bring about the change so i'm i'm excited by people like Tyron mings and, and rashford and sterling because they are they're showing the next generation that there is a, a way forward and they are the new role models former england winger rachel yankee believes that the profiles today's footballers enjoy means that they have the power to speak out in ways that those who went before them didn't There's a generation now that stand up and have the power and feel that they have the power and know that they have different ways that they're able to express themselves. We're using social media, you know, know the power in their voice where perhaps, you know, many years ago that wasn't the case and people were told to be quiet and when they shouted, they, they would get pushed aside. I think players of today now have a lot more power so that people will listen to them. Dr. Paul Gilroy, author of Ain't No Black in the Union Jack, is interested in the journey that today's stars are on. The treatment of Raheem Sterling and some of the other young, extremely wealthy footballers in the press suggests that British society still does have a major problem dealing with young black men and that the larger mechanisms of criminalisation and contempt, you know, can apply to you even if you, or perhaps apply to you especially if you don't seem to conform to the stereotype because you've got a beautiful car that you shouldn't have. So there's a kind of warfare in that. But we've also seen a number of footballers in the, since the pandemic struck, you know, taking out very combative political positions against the government around things like school meals and the question of the, as it were, the, the forms of social policy or political judgments that have to be made about who's in need and how that's going to be addressed. And, and so I, I think, in a way, we haven't yet seen how important the voice of that generation, the one that's it's got this combination of, a, of great social responsibility and great wealth. We haven't yet seen where their voices will take us and where they will take understanding of, of our moment that we're sharing right now. Former England forward Leanne Sanderson says a new age of player activism is welcomed. Players now feel like they can actually speak out. I mean, I know in the past when people have been racially abused, they've not even reported it because they're like, well, I've reported stuff before and nothing's ever been done. Whereas now I feel like there's actually more accountability and those players feel like they can speak up. And I think it's also important to remember the people like the Ian Wright, 
that have paved the way for people to be able to speak up and things like that because it all comes down to feeling protected feeling like you can have a voice because it's the same as like gay footballers out there you know there are gay footballers out there but nobody feels comfortable enough to talk about it or say that they are because they don't feel protected and I think it's amazing now that people can actually speak out because there needs to be young girls young boys that see players and they're like well actually they're just like me Kick It Out Sanjay Bandari believes that football occupies a significant space in British cultural life. And as a result, the voices of superstar black footballers carry a lot of weight. As a society in the UK, we are becoming a secular and a more and more secular society. If we have a religion, it's the Premier League. right? If we have a religion, it's football. That's our religion, okay? (laughs) Because we worship at that altar twice a week and we all go to slightly different congregations, but we're all worshipping at that altar twice a week. It is the biggest mass participation sport in this country and an attended sport, attended event in this country. Uh, and so, of course, everything, anything that's happening in society gets amplified in football. But the corollary of that is if you do something in football, it can be a beacon of change elsewhere. Uh, and, and that's also where social media is our friend. You know, because social media, with, without that, the players wouldn't have the impact that they do. And look at what Raheem Sterling does on, on issues around race. Look at what Marcus Rashford did with child food poverty. That is because of the platforms they have and, and social media. 2020 has seen the world turned on its head in ways we could never have imagined, including by the global movement that is Black Lives Matter. The Voices' Rodney Hines believes that sport can harness the energy of this new era. I think that while sportspersons should not be politicians, the Marcus Rashfords, in a different way, Raheem, Naomi Osaka, Alex Scott, the list is endless, Lewis Hamilton, sport has that ability because of its profile to affect change. And Marcus Rashford proved that in a different discussion point. So I think that if sport can get its house in order, there has to be really good potential that other industries can take a lead. Chris Hewton, now boss of Nottingham Forest, hopes that the football industry will uphold its pledges and work towards greater equality across the game. What has to continue is is a real desire to change. And what we will see over a period of time now is you know, how great that desire and how great that enthusiasm is to change. From the Black Lives Matter campaign, from the, the marches that, um, that we have seen, from so much of what we've heard now about companies, clubs maybe looking to put structures in that deal with the, the diversity within our own organisations, these are all the things that that are being spoke about at the moment on the back of this Black Lives Matter campaign. At this moment, all of that is good, but only time will tell, you know, how great that desire is as an organisation and as individuals, you know, how great that desire is to change. One moment showed how far things have changed. The night when two Black England stars, Raheem Sterling and Nikita Paris, were named as the Football Writers Association Players of the Year in 2019. Here's the FWA's Paul McCarthy. I guess it was hugely significant. I don't think there could have been any argument about who deserved to win that year. And and both Raheem and Nikita were fantastic recipients. And I guess, yeah, for the first time, I mean, to be fair, it's long overdue us uh, as a Football Writers Association actually having a women's footballer of the year. 
hugely significant. And I think both players should take a great deal of pride in the fact that they are absolutely at the pinnacle um, of their profession. Troy Townsend, father of Crystal Palace's Andros, told me that the example set by the game's trailblazers has laid the foundations for his son's era of talent to shine. Our generations now attach themselves so much to our history. You know, our young players understand and appreciate their forefathers as such and understand and appreciate what they've gone through. And I think it's empowered our young players now to be as expressive as they can be. And that's on the pitch and off the pitch as well. Football fan and academic Dr Paul Gilroy says that the history of black footballers is an important narrative for all who love the game. If we want to be recognised as a central mainstream part of the life of this country, then our stories need to be told and heard and they need to be amplified and they need to be part of educational initiatives and, and curricula. They need to be part of the mediascape. And we do that because actually we become a stronger, a more resilient, a more interesting and a more confident country if we can face up to our complexity, our diversity. I don't like that word really. Um, I suppose I'd call it our Creole character. I think that this is a kind of, although some people are in deep denial about it, uh, there's a there's a kind of Creole England waiting to be unlocked. And it may be that the sporting arena is a place where people can acquire new habits, habits where they're not frightened of black people, they're not f- hostile to black people unless you're, they're winning for you. But they can be more, in a sense, less anxious and less fearful in themselves because they just see that these forms of division and difference are just ordinary features of life in a modern country. Emil Heskey feels it's vital to tell these stories to young players, of whom so many are now black or mixed race. It's important for English football to actually really recognise it and keep promoting that and keep... Because we don't know. Because unless you hear that in, in a history lesson or unless you hear that at the FA or unless you hear that... I'm not saying it's their job, but unless you hear that somewhere, how, how are we supposed to know? So yeah, it's, it, I think it's important to keep that going because again, it just gets lost. And these are the people that play, pave the way for us to be where we are right now to the point where you could be going into a World Cup or a Euros with 50% black players sometimes 60% black players you've got you go into the youth national teams and it's 70% black players for Sol Campbell this reality is inevitable the UK is definitely like a a melting pot and that is just a generation thing is that it's all coming through it's because that's life it's life now in October 2020, Rhys James became the 100th player of black descent to play for the full England side. And maybe nothing tells the story of the journey of black footballers who came in from the cold to stand at the roaring heart of the English game better than the high number of players of African and Caribbean heritage now part of the three-line squad at all age groups. England coach Gareth Southgate says this is something the nation should celebrate. We are a multicultural society in every part of the country that I travel to people recognize that when they look at the team they they see they see themselves when they look at the team and one of the things that I loved more than anything else when when we were in a position we could travel and meet other people was that people from different racial backgrounds different religions different parts of the country would come up and talk about how much they'd connected with the team and that nothing could make me prouder than that really because we're there for the country that's the, the great honour and the privilege of playing for or managing England. We want to keep providing a team that does make people proud. Join us next time for the final live episode of Coming In From The Cold, where we'll discuss the stories and issues raised across the series and even throw in a few special guests for you as well. 
You can listen to the whole series as a podcast on your favourite podcast platforms. Coming in from the cold is an unedited production for the Wireless Group and supported by the Audio Content Fund. Hear the rest of the series on TalkSport or subscribe to Coming In From The Cold on your favourite podcast app and smart speaker. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 